adapted from Fred Craddock's sermon titled, How Long Does Easter Last? Originally delivered at the Cherry Hill Church in 1999. Have any of you ever been to the reading of a will? I am sure some of you have. The family, the relatives, and any others who expect to be, to, to be involved in the distribution of the inheritance gather in a judge's chamber or in a, a lawyer's office, and the will is read. It's a very exciting and anxious time indeed for some. It is an extraordinary moment. I thought about this when I read the text from 1 Peter. Sometimes I forget that this is what we do every Sunday. We read the will. That is what we are here for, to read God's will so all the children of God can know what their inheritance is. Sometimes I forget that this is what we are doing, but today's text reminded me that we have by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ a permanent Easter benefit, an inheritance that cannot shrink, it cannot be removed, it cannot be altered, it cannot pass away. It is, according to 1 Peter, kept in heaven, which means guarded in heaven, or as we would say, under lock and key in heaven, to be distributed to us. That is why we are here. So have you ever been to the reading of a will? Some people don't even show up because they do not want to be embarrassed. They say, what if everybody is sitting there and having their names called and finding out what they get and they don't call my name, and there I sit. What then? I think I'll just not show. According to the Old Testament, in ancient Israel, there are some people in the family who may as well not show because their names will not be called. The widow, we call her the poor widow, exactly what she was, which is exactly what she was in the economic system of that day, did not get anything according to the law. Zilch. She could sit there all day, but her name would not be called. That may seem strange to you. It does to me too. But I'm just telling you how it was. Part of her problem was that she was a woman, a fact that accounted for a lot of the things that she suffered. Inheritance went through the menfolk, so she did not get any. Moreover, if the deceased had daughters, they need not show. Their names will not be called. If you are a daughter in Israel, do not, do not come to the reading of the will. Your, your name will not be called. Now, if the deceased had only daughters and no sons, then the daughters could make a claim. We're the closest thing to the son our father never had. But even then, sometimes they did not get to be heard because the money would go to the brothers of the deceased who had sons. So there was no need for the, for the daughters to show. And today we do not have these Old Testament rules and regulations because in our legal system, wills and inheritances are up to the decision of the one who's the benefactor, which actually means that person's current love, hate, or whim. The will can be changed, you know, and then changed and changed and changed again, and you can sit there as a daughter or a son and not have your name called. Or maybe your name is called. I leave to my son Ralph my dirty socks. <laughs> Having his name called can be a way of slapping Ralph in front of everybody. Why should Ralph show up? 
Why should anybody show up when the inheritance is up to feeling and to whim? Many a person who has a great deal of money also has a son or a daughter who, as that person gets old, suddenly becomes really, really nice. What would you like, Daddy? Can I get you some more soup, Daddy? Can I bring you anything, Daddy? Up until that time, Daddy did not exist. Maybe you'll change the will. Maybe I'll get more than the others. Maybe I'll get something big. And then the will is read, and the family is torn apart. Brothers and sisters do not speak to each other anymore because one got this while another got nothing. The benefactor can leave it all to the cat. All that I own and want to be, I want to be turned into cat food and given to our cat, Sylvia, and to the caretaker of the cat. That can be done. Now, this leads to lawsuits. Was he really of sound mind or was he under undue influence when he changed the will? It can be an ugly, ugly thing. I do not know whether it is worth it to show up to the reading of the will. Some people do not show up because they have no name. How can your name be called when you are nameless? My brothers and I used to mow the lots at Rose Hill Cemetery in Humboldt, Tennessee. It was a way of helping to support the family. Inside the cemetery, across the strong, rather high fence, were maybe 60 or 70 additional graves. Do you want us to go over the fence and mow the grass over there, we would ask? No, we were told. That's the potter's field. Those graves don't even have a name. Who were those people? Who cares? They died in jail. They, did, they died paupers. They died without family. Don't go over there. Just let the weeds grow. Why show up if you don't have a name? One of the most painful things to me was about the horror of the Kosovo refugee situation is the recent news that the oppressors are not only driving the refugees out of their homes, but they're also destroying the legal records that show that they ever had a home. They are destroying the identity of these people so that they cannot prove they ever existed. You may ask, when are those people going to go back home? The answer is, what people? What home? They do not exist. Then why show up for the reading of the will? You do not have anything, not even a name. One time I was conducting a chaplain's retreat at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and they treated me very well. I ate in the officer's mess, and the soldier who waited on us wore sort of sad green fatigues. However, on the uniform where normally a soldier would have a name tag, there, a name tag, there was nothing. The name badge had been ripped off. I said to the fellow waiting on me, a very nice young man, I see you don't have your name tag. What's your name? He didn't answer me. I said to the officer beside me, why didn't he answer? What's his name? And the officer said he doesn't have one. Well, what do you mean? What's his name? He has no name, the officer repeated. Well, who are these people waiting on us, I asked. Conscientious objectors. This was during the Vietnam War, and these were conscientious objectors. They do not exist. They have no name, so eat your lunch. Can you believe that? No 
names. I think the saddest group that does not show up for the reading of the will are those who, in terms of expecting anything, have eliminated themselves. These are the folk who have disqualified themselves because of their low station in life or because of something horrible they have done or because nobody accepts their lifestyle. Some people during their lifetime gradually erase themselves and stand looking at their shoelaces and say, I'm nobody. Why should God include me? I'm not anybody. I remember that marvelous prophecy in Isaiah 56 where the Lord says, I do not want foreigners to say I do not have a place among the people of God. I do not want the eunuch to say I'm just a dead tree. The day is coming, the day is coming, says the Lord, when the stranger, the alien, the foreigner, the transient will have a place in my house. And the man who cannot father children will have better than many children because I will put his name on a marker in my house and everyone will know him forever. That day is coming, says the prophet, when God's house shall be called a house of prayer for everybody. What a wonderful thing. Yet I still run into people who have disqualified themselves, some simply because they do not have the right thing to wear. Can you believe it? What is the right thing to wear? But here in 1 Peter, we find a group of people gathered to the rafters for the reading of the will. They're all here, jammed into the room, excited. I don't know why they're there, because a lot of them are women. You have read 1 Peter, and you know that many of the people being addressed are women. You know their names are not going to be called. Some of these people are slaves. You have read 1 Peter, and you know that some of the members of that church were slaves. Do you think they should show up? I think that's the Sunday they should go fishing. Are they going to have their names called? Why are they there? They are all excited. All excited for the reading of the will. Women, slaves, and what 1 Peter calls exiles, foreigners, and transients. This is the way all of the Christians back then were regarded. They were people without a country, non-people. Where do they live? What is their place? What is their name? Nowhere. Nobody. Yet in this little church addressed by 1 Peter, the folks had all gathered for the reading of the will. Strangers, exiles, nobodies, slaves, women, everybody. They have all come, and they're all excited because they said the will has been kept guarded in heaven under lock and key, and nobody can change the will. The value will not go down. It's imperishable. The will is unchangeable, and it is not the whim of the one who made out the will to change it and change it and change it again. These people are confident that they're going to be taken by the hand outside the building and allowed to walk off the size of their inheritance as the children of God and then walk back inside and run through the unsearchable riches of God's love and grace. Every one of them is expecting it. The leader gets up and reads the will. 
He says, first of all, there is no silver or gold here. You have come to the wrong place, if that's what you're interested in. This is a church, and there's no silver or gold. There is, however, boundless mercy. And when push comes to shove, that is the part of the inheritance that every one of us will want more than anything else. The boundless mercy of God. Not what we deserve, but what love gives. The reader continues with the will. There's hope. And that's what keeps us alive. Indeed, hope keeps all of us alive. Keeps the student alive. Keeps the soldier alive. When we were in Oklahoma and I saw that it was hope more than anything else that kept the farmers alive, there they were, driving those mortgage tractors across the dry, dry land, burning fuel they'd bought on credit and not seeing a sprig come up. Well, maybe next year. Hope. Not because it is spring and everything is beginning to bloom, but hope that is built upon the nature of God who calls into being what does not exist and gives life even to the dead. That is the basis of real hope. There is security. The reader of the will goes on to say security is what God is with us and guides us and guards us and even when we walk the thorny way and endure suffering. There is the security of God's grace. And finally, the reader says, the last gift to all the children of God is joy. Joy. You see it once in a while. I don't mean the silly kind of joy. I don't mean the smiley faces on a little card on your lapel, God loves you and I do too. I don't mean that. I mean real joy, the kind that even has tears in its eyes and it's still there. Next February, my wife, Nettie, and I are going on a one-week mission to an island in the Bahamas. I've never been to that part of the world, so I don't know exactly what to expect, but we've been told that the people there are extremely poor, many of them illiterate. The preachers do not have any education. I'm going to spend a week helping them with their sermons. Nettie and I are going to go down there and have a good time with them, preach in their churches, and eat at table with them. Thinking about this mission trip reminded me of an experience I had some years ago. I was visiting, I was a visiting preacher at a church, and on Sunday afternoon, a van pulled up in the church parking lot, and a number of young people got out. They looked like they were 13, 14, 15 years old, maybe as old as 18. There were 10 or 12, 10 or 12 of them, all members of that church. And when they got out of the van with their sleeping bags and bedraggled clothing, they were the most awful-looking bunch of kids you've ever seen. What is this, I asked. And I was told that they had just returned from a work mission. In one week, these young people had joined with others and had built a little church for a community, and they were exhausted, worn out, and they looked terrible. They were sitting on their bags waiting for their parents to come, and I said to one of the boys, are you tired? And he said, am I tired? And then he said, this is the best tired I've ever been. That is what joy is. The best tired I've ever been. Do you feel that? I hope someday the young people in this church 
will get that tired. And I hope we all get that tired. Just the best tired there is in your Bible. That's called joy. I want to ask you something. Do you know of any people who live near where you live who do not show up for the reading of the will because they think they're not going to get anything? Do you know any people who for any reason have excluded themselves? If you do, I want you to go to them and say, last Sunday we read, we read the will and your name was called. And then tell them this, we're going to read it again next Sunday. So bring them to this place to hear it. There's nothing like hearing your name called. Nothing like hearing the voice call your name and say, child of God, this is yours. That's what we do here. We read the will. Let's share our joy, for our joy is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for us in heaven.